Welcome to ASAIRS, a podcast from Statistics Canada, where we meet the people behind the data and explore the stories behind the numbers. I'm your host, Tegan Bridge. In 1972, Sylvia Oster became the first and, so far, only female chief statistician of Canada. Fifty years ago, the world was a different place. NASA was launching their space shuttle program, and The Godfather was in movie theaters. The workplace was changing, with more and more women working outside the home than ever before. In 1972, 45% of women aged 25 to 54 participated in the labor market. That is, were employed or looking for a job. While that might seem like a relatively small percentage today, it represented a huge shift at the time. A decade earlier, in 1962, it was only 32%. That's a 40% increase in just 10 years. In 1952, while Sylvia became a lecturer at McGill, women in her home province of Manitoba were given the right to be jury members. Sylvia began working as the Director of Special Manpower Studies and Consultation at StatCan in 1965. Just one year before that, in 1964, women were given the right to open a bank account without their husband's signature. And in 1971, the year before Sylvia was made chief statistician, Manitoba stopped firing female municipal employees after they married. When Sylvia Ostry was appointed head of the Economic Council of Canada, the Globe and Mail published an announcement at the bottom of the fifth page of the women's section. Sylvia passed away in 2020, and to celebrate her, we're taking a look back at her life to see what we can learn from her. You'll be hearing Sylvia's voice through clips from an interview she gave to Bronwyn Bragg and Mary Breen, recorded on May 28, 2008. So, here are eight pieces of advice from the life of Sylvia Ostry. Number one, challenge yourself. When you think about people who led remarkable lives, it's difficult to imagine who they were before they made it, before they were successful. Sylvia Ostry came from humble roots. So my name is Adam Ostry, and Sylvia Ostry was my mother. She was a pioneer, you know. Her parents, now her mother had graduated from normal school in Winnipeg. She was an immigrant from England. She was born in in London. Tottenham Court Road. Um, can't get more working class than that in the 19, in the 1890s. You know, she came from nothing. They had no money. They were penniless immigrants. Um, my grandfather made money, then lost it during the Depression, and never really gained it back. And my grandmother, her mother, was ended up being a, a, a she, she was a primary school teacher uh, after having gone to normal school in Winnipeg. But that was it. Her, her and her brother were the first people to go on to graduate school and to get doctorates at universities. I mean, um, and then she she rose to the top uh, through sheer hard work. Sylvia challenged herself. She was intelligent and a hard worker and she challenged herself to succeed. In her own words... At the University of Manitoba, uh, to get into medical school 
was very difficult. It was a first-class medical school, but it uh, covered the whole of Western Canada. There was no other medical school at that time. And it was very difficult for a woman. I don't remember how many there were since the beginning, not more than a handful. And it was much more difficult to be a Jew, so to be a female Jew uh, really appealed to me that I would get in. So I had uh, two friends at high school who were very bright, and we sat down and said, look, we're going to do pre-med and we'll get the highest marks in Western Canada because we'll organize ourselves to study and we'll share on notes, etc. and we'll hire, get money and hire uh, special people who can teach us and we'll go one, two, three and I said and if they keep us out we'll sue them which sounds very strange that um, at that time, but I felt very strongly about it, um, and we did that. The things that she respected the most in people were talent and intelligence, integrity, so honesty, and hard work and, and discipline. So one of her favorite expressions was to goof off. That's a very kind of 1950s expression, goof off. And she would invariably accuse me of goofing off when I wasn't doing my homework or or wasn't working. But when given the opportunity to goof off or to work, she would invariably choose work. Number two, follow your passions, even if they take you in an unexpected direction, maybe especially then. I think that quitting gets a bad rep. Have you ever heard of the sunk cost fallacy? Basically, it's when people tend to keep going with something if they've invested a lot of time, effort, or money into it, even if it no longer serves them or it's something they don't want anymore. You can apply this to things like relationships or jobs. I would actually like to encourage you to utilize strategic quitting, and I think Sylvia would too. Sylvia realized during a visit to her brother who was studying at Queen's University, that she wanted to study social sciences. The conversations she saw the students having about things like art, politics, and the economy were much more interesting to her than her studies in medicine. She wanted to join them, but to do that, she would have to quit medical school. The first year was very boring. You just did anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry. And uh, I got 99 in biochemistry, and I did very well in the other two. Uh, but that summer, I went to my, see my brother, who was at Queens. And I spent the summer in Kingston. And um, it was as though I'd gone to Mars. I'd never met people who read books and talked about history and literature. That's all I'd ever done was study. And I went to see the dean of medical school and I said, I really feel badly, but I want to leave medical school 
because it's so boring. And he exploded and he screamed, you're the best example of why we will not have women in medical school. How correct we were to keep them out. You realize you're keeping a man out. And I said, I know, but I'm sorry, but I, I want to study something else. He said, that's a lie. You're like all women. You're dropping out, so you go out and get married. And I got furious. I said, it's not true. I'm going to be a doctor, but it'll be a PhD and not a medical doctor. And he said, that's a lie. And I went out. My name is Jonathan Austry. I'm the younger son of Sylvia and Bernard Austry. She started off thinking she wanted to be a physician, a doctor, a medical doctor. And I think what, what drove her in that direction is, uh, you know, always choose the thing that is the most difficult, the most impossible, and see if you can kick the ball through the goalpost just for the heck of kicking the ball rather than specifically because this is your passion. And she realized this this really wasn't her passion, and she had chosen this this direction merely for the reason that I just said, and that was a, a very poor reason to to kind of motivate what you were going to do for your life, right? So she decided she wanted to go into economics. For Sylvia, the most important thing wasn't necessarily what she was taking. It wasn't the topic of study. It was instead... The concentration on uh, learning, and I came to McGill, and uh, I didn't want to take economics. I didn't care what I took, um, but it happened that they said, take economics, we think you can uh, do two years. I never really thought of my mother as as an economist. I mean, she, she is an economist by training, but is my mother an economist? Did I think of her as an economist? I really thought of her and my father as people who knew everything about everything. Number three, refuse to accept limitations put on you by other people. Sylvia faced discrimination all her life. Even after earning a PhD, she was denied a job at the UN because she was a woman. My initial thing was that I wanted to be a development economist. And I went to the UN, and I had my PhD, and I went to see the person who was in charge of development. And I said, you know, I have all the qualifications, and I would love to work here. And he said, look, I might as well be clear to you. No government in, in developing countries would hire a woman. And he said, you better find another career. It's amazing how people could say things like that, but it was honest. And so when I went to McGill, I had to find, uh, and I was very interested in uh, labor economics and stuff, so... Uh, that's what um, I, I worked on. My mother fought the good fight. She, uh, she had career uh, disappointments. I mean, my mother wanted to be <laughs> my mother wanted to be deputy minister of finance and then governor of the bank, you know, and she was a product of her time. And there was no way they were going to give those jobs to a woman. And she, she knew it. 
she was told that she made the best of you know there's an old expression you dance with the guy that brought you and the fact is is that uh what she she made the best of the of the hand she was dealt although she was refused by the un she didn't let that stop her sylvia didn't quit when she was faced with a roadblock she found her own way to succeed and refused to accept the limitations put on her by others and you shouldn't either as an economist she had nine lives right she didn't just change from medicine to economics she did her phd uh, at cambridge on what today would be considered the most arcane obscure um topic she wrote her thesis on the s- sort of the soviet planning soviet economic planning as it pertained to newly independent india she didn't she didn't work on marxist economics or development economics or or soviet planning she she went to the oxford institute of statistics and economics and she she did other things she became a labor economist then she she became an expert on on the canadian labor market and and all the challenges for the canadian economy she was chair of the economic council of canada um she became an expert on uh, regulatory and microeconomics when she was deputy at consumer and corporate affairs uh, and then she became a, a foremost global expert on international trade which is a completely uh different topic she she so she she reinvented herself um in many in many different ways she she had the inner confidence and strength to know that she could do it Number 4. When faced with a problem, try changing your perspective. Prior to Sylvia's tenure as Director of Special Manpower Studies and Consultation, StatCan studied the labor supply by focusing on how many men were working and how many men wanted to work. The first job they gave me uh at this counter was terrific. They gave me a thing um it's wonderful title today but didn't bother me and called special manpower studies <laughs> but it was very interesting because um they let me attach um separate questionnaires to the household survey so i could get information on a whole range of things that nobody else had and we produced and i was able to hire academics and we produced some incredible studies so i loved the job uh it was really fascinating and indeed um so my early uh publications were very important in the us cuz we developed new ways of looking at things um we developed ways i, I was wanted to develop measures uh, of man, of uh s- demand and not just supply. Sylvia wanted to look at the labor supply from another angle. She wanted to look at the participation of workers in the labor market and why someone would choose not to participate, not get a job, whether they might want to work under different conditions. 
The manpower studies gave Sylvia the resources to study the Canadian labor force more closely in a way that had not been done before. StatCan had been measuring the labor supply for a long time, but manpower was a bit literal and focused on men. Sylvia saw the value in expanding our research by including other groups in new measurements. Sylvia reimagined how we'd think of labor, of manpower, to expand the analysis to include not just men, but women as well. She studied the participation of women in the labor market, the question of what made a woman choose to work or not to work, and the effect of factors like education, husband's earnings, and children on that decision. This was a big deal at a time when, in the words of economist Joan McFarland, most of the analysis in economics ignored the role of women in the economy altogether. Sylvia Ostry studied the lifetime productivity of a person and the lost output from their premature death or retirement. The labor force participation and potential earnings of both the economic man and the economic woman are included, the first Canadian study of its kind. Sylvia issued a challenge to traditional economics to change its perspective, not just looking at men, but at women, and in doing so, increased our understanding of labor economics. Number five, live by your own definition of success. Sylvia Ostry was a mother, and she also had a career, something other people sometimes judged her for. What did your people close to you, your family and friends or your wider social network, what did they think of your career choices? Well, in Ottawa, I was told that a large number of women were shocked and horrified that I was working. They thought that it was just appalling. I had children and I was working full time. Uh, they never said this to me, but I heard this from a number uh, people. Um, the only time there was anything overt was when I was appointed to the OECD uh, this is in 79. I'm told that the wife of the ambassador uh, told her husband that I was not allowed to enter the embassy because I was such a disgrace that she would not have me. I was married. I had two children. Uh, how could I come to a place like the OECD and be head of it, be uh, the, the chief economist? And uh, it was just disgraceful for a woman to be working with. When my mother went to the OECD as its chief economist, there were a number of firsts and maybe more firsts than when my mother um, became chief statistician because 
she became chief statistician in Canada, which was her country. You can say that because it's her country, there's a certain comfort level from rising in your country. But when she got the job at the OECD, most people in Paris were absolutely incredulous because, first of all, that job had always really been the purview of the uh, of a European citizen, a citizen of Europe, and Canadians or Americans. But you know, C Canada was like a backwater. And what is this Canadian woman coming to Paris for? That's one. So that was one thing. The other, there was very much. Uh, it was a quite a misogynist environment, and I can certainly well appreciate that my mother would have heard whispers in the in the corridors about, oh God, this what is this woman doing here? So it's it Canadian, there's woman, um, and just this sense that boy, she, she's she's not one of us. I mean, it's just so many, well, probably being Jewish. So, so, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, not part of that club. And so, and so, you know, talk about, uh, about being out of your comfort zone. We all get to decide for ourselves what success looks like. And if you would like to follow in Sylvia's footsteps and define success as raising two children and also becoming the chief economist at the OECD, yes, more power to you. You go, Glenn Coco. Number six, when prejudice closes a door, break that door down. You might have heard the expression, when one door closes, another opens. Maybe that's true. But it's also true that sometimes doors are closed because of prejudice. And when those doors close, you kick them wide open. This maxim could apply metaphorically to many stories from Sylvia's life, but sometimes we actually mean it pretty literally. The funniest thing was when Flo Bird had her first meeting to discuss the Royal Commission on Women. It was held at the Very Fancy Club in Ottawa, and uh, I was coming in to have lunch with her, and I was stopped at the entrance and I said, I'm sorry, I have a, a meeting, a luncheon meeting with Senator Byrd. I said, you can't come in this door. I said, what do you mean I can't come in this door? Not allowed as a woman, you have to go in the side door. So I burst out laughing. I said, that's good, because we're having a meeting on a royal commission for women, and I'll make sure... <laughs> That this place is either closed or you open the front door. Number seven, surround yourself with people who love and support you. You know what they say, haters gonna hate, 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 hate. But take it from Sylvia. Surrounding yourself with people who love and support you makes all the difference. For Sylvia, it was her husband, Bernard. I mean, my husband was just the most extraordinary man, and um, as I say, we've known since I was five years old. She wouldn't have survived without my father. My mother was blessed with having my father as her husband. My my father loved my mother, adored my mother, worshipped the ground she walked on uh, for all sorts of reasons. 
my mother never uh, forgot the degree to which she was loved by him. Her two children were privileged to have grown up and to have been raised by two people who loved each the way my parents loved each other. My family, my, my, my parents stayed married to each other for 50 years. And it was, uh, my mother, my mother, <laughs> my mother expressed her love for my father in differently than the way my father expressed his love for my mother. I mean, my father's collecting of Art Nouveau and Art Deco furniture and, and objets d'art, uh, which you can now see in the Royal Ontario Museum, is a testament to his love for her. Uh, he did that not because he was interested in the period. He did that because she was. She had uh, an intellectual interest in the Weimar Republic and in uh, French Art Deco. She was interested in the period. She was interested in the in the political brilliancy and turmoil that was going on in the 20s and 30s in, in Western Europe, notably France and Germany. And so my father decided that he would begin surrounding her with the tangible illustrations of that period. Uh, That was the way he expressed his love for her. In all her major, major career decisions in life, she, she couldn't do anything without first consulting with him. And if you look at the career path... I don't think you'll find any examples of the husband uh, consciously giving up career opportunities so that his wife uh, could pursue her career. Even today, I dare say that there are, the examples are few and far between. I was appointed. Uh chairman of the Economic Council, and I was at the office uh, one morning, and I got a call from Paris. And the um, assistant to the director general phoned and said, um, the head of the economics department is leaving, he's retiring, and we'd be very interested in interviewing you. And the uh, director general wants to know if you'd come to Paris for an interview. And uh, I was just staggered. And uh, I said, well, uh, I could get back to you uh, on Friday. This was a Wednesday. And um, I came home that night. I didn't bother phoning my husband. I said, I had this insane call from Paris and I described and I said I'll you know I'll be polite and I'll wait till Friday and then I'll tell him no my husband said are you crazy and I said what do you mean he said you'll never have another offer like that as long as you live that's a crucial job it's, he was right it's very important at that time and I said well what do you want me to do I can't do that he said yes you can you're going to go and I'll work something out We'll work out something. That's what he was like. I couldn't be where I am without my husband. Number eight, work hard. Our last piece of advice comes straight from Sylvia Austri herself. I was wondering if I could ask you if you have any advice for, for young women. 
Yeah, I think my advice is what I did myself, that you must be determined to be the best in what you do. And you have to be disciplined and you have to work hard. Uh, I know it sounds platitudinous, but that's what I did. Uh, I never thought about power, getting jobs or anything. I just wanted to do better than anyone else. And I was like that from the time I was in grade one. So Sylvia Austri was a complicated and complex uh, human being. She She was highly intelligent. She was driven by her need to to work. She expressed her identity through her work. She um, devoted her life to to work. She was full of integrity. She was brutally honest, first with herself, and then demanded no less from from others, starting from starting with her her children. And so, as a mother, she she taught me. She tried anyway to teach me very early the discipline of 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 work and of being honest with with yourself uh, in terms of what you can and cannot do she she uh, believed very strongly in in trying to be the best that you could be she always had a uh, an expression that she would use with me uh, whenever i would try to collapse and say that i couldn't do it she she would get very upset and angry and say that you're not working hard enough um and if i had a goal that that i would then say i, I would never be able to she she always said your reach should exceed your grasp and then she lived by that credo for for her entire life sylvia dedicated her life to improving the welfare of canadians she was not only a great intellectual very broad in terms of um you know her areas of expertise but also not interested in knowledge for knowledge's sake. She was interested in how to leverage knowledge to guide policy with the ultimate purpose of, of the well-being of Canadians or uh, in, a, in a larger canvas, um, the world. And this is what she devoted her life to. She committed, she devoted her entire life, her entire working life to public service. There is no nobler calling, and uh, she is an, is an exemplar of that. And I think that Canada recognized that. She died a companion of the order. But if people remember her, I hope people remember her for her contribution to, to making Canada a better place in which to live. You've been listening to A-Sayers. Thank you to Sylvia Ostry's sons, Adam Ostry and Jonathan Ostry, for their special contribution to this episode. Thank you to Joan McFarland for help with some of the economic concepts, to the librarians at Library and Archives who helped us with research, and to the University of Ottawa Library Archives and Special Collections, who gave us permission to include excerpts from Bronwyn Bragg and Mary Bean's 2008 interview with Sylvia Ostry. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. There, you can also find the French version of our show called Écoutez Bien. If you liked this show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.